Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first-time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add, if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bundjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by the gorgeous Anya O'Neill, our third Irish Anya for the podcast, which we'll talk about shortly. Anya's in the TV and film industry and has has been sober for just over a year. And so I've got her on to talk about her story today and tell us all about it. Anya. Welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, Danny. Thank you so much for having me. And I love that you said I'm your third Anya. Like, what? I know. Is that just like the most common name? Like, is it what's going on over there? Is every woman named Anya in Ireland? Like, that's the thing. No, like, it's actually not. And it's very funny because, like, I don't know any Anyas that are, like, I don't have any Anya friends it's one of those names that even when Irish people hear it now, they're like, oh my God, yeah, I love that Irish name because it's not so unknown. But I do think it's getting a bit more popular. 
So I don't know. Yeah. It's so bizarre. How old are you? Uh, 30, I have to think. I'm 36. Yeah, because my friend Anya Tyrrell, who's been on The Musician, she's yeah. probably similar age. And then the other Anya, maybe, yes, not similar age too. So I don't know. That's just so funny. Anyway. Yeah. There must be. I wonder then if we're, I was, I was born in 87. So I'll, I'll I follow Anya Tyrrell on Instagram as well. So I'm, I'll find out when she was born and then maybe there was something popular Anya around that time. They must have, all named. <laughs> must have been. Anyway, well, it's great to have you as our third Anya. I'll have to go looking for another one. That might just be the trend for the podcast. Anyway, so Anya, tell us a bit about you. So you've been sober for just over a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, October 6th. 22 I'm like what years uh October 6 2022 was my last alcoholic beverage it was like a Wednesday mm-hmm. so <laughs> it was a Wednesday that's a random day to decide to, to stop we'll kind of jump ahead because normally I ask how you got started I will ask you that but what happened on the Tuesday before well I had just actually come back from Ireland and it was funny so I had been living in LA so I am from Ireland and I'm back in Ireland now But while I was in L.A., I'd lived there at that time, maybe for about two years already. And I'm an actor like that. I'm in the TV and film industry and it's very competitive over there. But I was starting to maybe get a bit of momentum and I was kind of I felt like I was settling in L.A., but also at the same time, like my mental health and just internal things that were coming up for me was like very like a lot of healing, a lot of trauma and stuff was coming up for me at the same time, which was interesting because I had obviously left Ireland And it came up for me while I was away, which tends to happen, right? Like, I think that you're kind of away from home. So maybe a lot of stuff is going to come up. But but anyway, I had always dabbled with the idea of giving up drinking and possibly being someone that didn't drink. But then anyway, so I came back from Ireland. I, I flew home for my sister's wedding. And then while I was at home, I got COVID, but then at the same time got a call because I was after getting a part in a TV show. I had filmed with them a couple of weeks previous and then the, basically what they said was like oh we want you to come back and do another episode and I was like oh my god amazing changed all my flights like panic COVID tests in Ireland like COVID obviously was still very rampant and like you had to show things to fly and everything I booked a flight last minute I was supp- I was supposed to be in Ireland for like a month and a half I flew home and I was like do you know what? I've been coming over the wedding I'll stay for a while and then I'll go back and I knew I wasn't going to be coming back for Christmas and everything so I was like I'll stay for a while so anyway, so this ended my trip. Like I literally was two days or something after my sister's wedding. I think I was still hung over from the wedding. Um, typical Irish wedding, a lot of booze. So panicked, flew over. Whatever happened then between the fact that I had got COVID, but I'd gotten a clean COVID test and all this had happened. Basically on my flight, something had happened that someone in production was like, oh no, she has COVID. She can't do it. And basically like gave my part away. And this was going to be like my month's rent. This was going to be like makeup for the fact that I had booked flights last minute to LA from Ireland direct. Business class, I think, was the only seat that was available. So, of course, I just booked it. So, like, a lot of money. Anyway, cleared kind of a good bit of my bank account and flew over to LA. But basically, as I had landed, it was so funny. So, like, you know, when things are going wrong, like an avalanche of things go wrong for you to really have to take notice of your life. And although it wasn't necessarily your surrounding alcohol or anything, there was a few different things in my own personal life. I was dating a guy at the time. And I remember like landing into the airport, the guy hadn't picked me up. He was supposed to pick me up. The guy hadn't picked me up. 
And again, like I said, like my phone wasn't working while I was on this flight. So I landed to all these emails and messages and like arrived in LAX airport, a depleted bank balance, lost this job. The boyfriend hadn't picked me up. And I was like, well, he's a fucking dick. And I was like, what is my life? And then I was like, why am I back here? I kind of was like, and I had been battling with whether I liked LA or not and whether my soul was really happy there. So I felt like this was kind of cemented for me that I was like, this is just not... I'm not supposed to be here. There's something, there's too many things, too many doors closed in my face for me to like supposed to be here. I think I arrived in on like a Monday or Tuesday, whenever it was. And my friend had rang me and he was like, I was telling him and I was like, oh my God, fucking, he didn't pick me up. My flight and my job, all this, right? And I was having plenty. He was like, come on, let's go for margaritas and go for a game of pill, which is what we did. So went for margaritas, only had two. Like, that's the thing. It wouldn't necessarily be like, it wasn't like I was a big, massive, fallen out of bars type person, which we'll get into. But like in my late 30s, I wasn't a massive, massive, massive drinker. But then when I compare it to what other people drank, I was a massive drinker. I could just handle it a lot better. So we went for two margaritas and I woke up the next morning, I guess. So we kind of went from the airport home, changed out, didn't really deal with the emotion that I was feeling in that moment or sit with the feelings that were coming up. Instead, I was like, yeah, let's just, you know, go out, have a game of pool, a few drinks. The next day I woke up and like I said, I only had two margaritas. That was nothing to me. That's I might as well have been drinking water That for the effect that that would have on me. So it wasn't even that I was hung over or anything, but I woke up and I was devastated with some sort of like emotion. And I was stuck to the pillow with the tears. I was just like, I woke up and I was like, what is my life? I was like, I'm I'm not where I want to be. I'm not around necessarily people that are kind of really for me. I'm obviously dating losers. <laughs> like this is just not, this isn't me. This doesn't line up with the identity I have for myself. Like, and then for some reason, I don't know why, I think it was on Twitter or whatever. And social media has a funny way of doing these things, but I wouldn't really be a doom scroller, but I was kind of scrolling and someone stuck up about this inner child meditation so I was like, I'm just going to do that. I was like, I'm just going to sit here and just like do a meditation to try ground myself in this emotion. Like they're, like I said, jobless, boyfriendless, penniless, all these things, right? And I was like, I just need to ground myself and come back into who I really am. So I sat there and was doing this meditation and it was like a really strong meditation. It brought me into like to meet my inner child. And I don't know if you've ever done a meditation like that or if anyone is listening is like, what is she on about? Like, look, that's where the answers are, right? It's the inner child. It's the shadow work. So I went, the meditation took me that I had to go somewhere and meet my inner child and ask my inner child what she needed. And like I said, although I only had two margaritas, I wasn't hung over at this point. I, I don't think I had drank at my sister's wedding, but previous to that, I hadn't really drank or anything. But I met my inner child and she was like, I need you to give up alcohol. I just need you to give up alcohol. And it was like everything had just switched. It was like, okay, I'm doing that. And that night, so it was a Wednesday that evening, I looked up like online a because I didn't know. I was like, I don't know where do where do people that don't drink go, right? Because like I hadn't really been aware of it, and I was in such a low emotional place, like, and I felt so alone. I felt so alone, and I just googled online AA meetings, right? Because I was like, I know that there's definitely going to be someone there I can talk to, and I wouldn't be afraid of seeking help or putting my hand up and being like, "Can you help me? I I need this." Like, once it's from strangers, I'm very good at taking help from strangers not necessarily people around me so I went online to a meeting and I was like this feels nice I was like I'm, I'm gonna maybe go to one in person 
And so again, this is like the Wednesday, Thursday, whatever day it was. So yeah, sorry if I'm kind of off like maybe a day or two. I know this the sixth, whatever the day the sixth was, was like the day I was out having the margaritas. Went to the next day, did the online um, meeting. And then on the Saturday, went to an AA meeting because I just felt so lost. I was like, I don't know if it's AA I need, but I need someone to just talk to me or give me a hug. That's literally just what I needed. And for some reason, I just couldn't get that off the people that were in my life. Like, so yeah, I went to in, in person, went to a women's only AA meeting. And even the way that happened, like I, I went to the wrong location. And for this particular AA, I mean, went to the wrong location and it was just say on at like 9 a.m. So it was like 10 past nine. And I kind of rang and I was like, oh, is this? And they were like, oh, that meeting's not on anymore. But look, there's one like five minutes away. And I was like, okay. So I drove to that. It just happened to be this lovely women only AA meeting. And I was like, I'm supposed to be here. And it was just so lovely. And it was just where I needed to be. And I was like, I just need to give up alcohol if I have to put my hand up and say I'm an alcoholic, I will. Although I didn't identify with that. But at the same way, the reason I don't identify with it is the reason that allowed me to put my hand up and be like, I don't care if I have to say this. I just need someone to just just tell me what's going on. And I feel I can get the support here. And if that's what I have to do to get the support, that's what I'll do. So that's what happened in those few days. But my alcohol journey and wanting to give it up started long before then. Wow. Amazing. It's really interesting how you say, even though you didn't identify as an alcoholic, that you still went to the AA meetings, which is amazing. Did you carry on with the AA meetings? I did for a couple of weeks, but again, and this is my own philosophy on life, right? Things only mean something if we attach meaning to it, right? Like AA could mean something more to someone or less to someone. Okay. So for me, I went to the meetings but I wasn't getting what I felt I possibly needed or was supposed to get from them. And I had done so much healing work and so much trauma work that it was like I got to the point of giving up alcohol. That was like my end, whereas usually people start there and then their journey begins. Whereas for me, I feel like it was nearly the end of my journey. Yeah, that's amazing. Yes, that's so interesting because it's true. I think a lot of people, well, maybe, I don't know, actually. But, yeah, it does seem that a lot of people quit the alcohol first and then do all the the trauma work and everything. So that's a really interesting way of doing it and also probably a gentler approach as well. So tell us a bit about how bad, so you said that you had the two margaritas. At your worst point of drinking, how did that look for you? Like, more so in my 20s it was funny like I should have probably been an AA in my 20s realistically or going to these things in my 20s or looking mm-hmm. at my alcohol issues or mm-hmm. whatever was surrounding in my 20s late teens 20s because like I said I'd done so much work on myself that it was by the time I reached 30 I was kind of like well equipped enough anyway that maybe I wasn't going out getting hammered or smashed but um like the worst times for me was like even when one or two drinks on me drink driving. If I was out on a night out, I was the first one out and the last one to go home and still standing and still well able to absolutely, like I that saying, you can drink someone under a table, like that was me. I was literally, I would, and I would have full-blown conversations with someone like me and you are now. And I would be so coherent, intelligent, emotionally aware, stand there having an absolute conversation with you that you would think, that I'm just after leaving like a business nine to five meeting, right? That for, for the way I could hold myself, but I would not remember one bit of the conversation we had the next day. Like not one bit. Oh yes. I can relate <laughs> to that one. 
Yeah, but then I was fine, if you get me. And I'm, I'm using air quotes for people on the podcast. Like, but it was grand. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, Asher, nothing major happened to you. And Asher, you're only having a laugh. And Asher, it's grand. And like, there was nothing major that was happening to me. The alarm bells were only going off internally. And they stemmed from growing up in a family of addiction and always mm. being aware that I am, I have an addictive personality for sure, but that I'm like, I'm only one drink away from being an alcoholic. I, I've never done drugs. That's one thing I've never done. But again, I was like, I couldn't even, I wouldn't even look to dabble in them because I just knew growing up in a family with addiction. I was like, that's where I just can't. I need to be aware of it as well. I was awareness alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. What was it like for you growing up? Oh, like, look, complete chaos. And I feel if we ever do this podcast, it'll be another time when my mom and dad aren't alive. God love them because there's so much more to say. But like, I lost two siblings to addiction. I oh, lost... Yeah. When I was 14 and my sister was 16, and sorry, the only reason I, I wasn't thinking of the time it was just coming back to me like I was 14 and she was 16 and she had been at a party and had been drinking and fell and banged her head at 16 years of age. Oh and my God, oh no. That being like nearly normalized and it was a big thing. And it was, and even now I think it's just still thing I think of and I'm like, oh my God. And then just before COVID as well, then I lost a brother also to addiction he had been on drugs for many years but had come off drugs but never dealt with why he was on drugs in the first place so we're very good at like hard cutting you know just stopping doing things but then like I said for my brother he just didn't deal with why he was on drugs in the first place so eventually then which was sad because like he was obviously very much like alive for all those years after he took drugs but he wasn't living like he wasn't living a life and then his heart just gave up and he was only 40 so like two family members and then and to still even say that and to own that is just like it's like wow and yeah so chaos I guess growing oh up around drunk and how, I'm so sorry like that's that's so huge how did you cope especially being so young when your sister passed away from falling over drunk oh my god like that's just how is that like how do you cope with that how does your family cope with that it's like how they coped with it it's just true drink as well it's more fuel drink like I remember I think I remember being 14 and having a cigarette outside my sister's funeral 14 years of age and then I remember me and my friend sneaking alcohol after her funeral like madness due to think that that was going on or happening because I was the youngest of four and of course this had just happened and it was I don't even like people say world shattering. I don't even know it. I you're in a different realm when someone, especially at fourteen, and we were so close because she was sixteen, and we were like, like I said, we, we were very close in age, and like my older brother and sister. So I was kind of like my mom and dad and family were dealing with their own grief, and I was kind of always someone that like looked after myself in a sense. So when this had happened, it was just like mad like to bring me back to that time was just mad chaos and how I dealt with that as well was I drank for a while like I also drank as a teenager I drank at 12 13 14 that happened to my sister slowing me down yeah no I was a lot more aware it was like I was able to prolong the soberness so I was drinking drinking but I was able to like hold it more or something as opposed to being like you know I shouldn't really be doing this because people die but again it was just it was everyone was doing it teenagers we were all so it was just like 
a normalized thing. And I know I keep using like air quotes, like, well, it was just, yeah, it was just mad. So like chaos, <laughs> chaos. I'm sure that would have sent shockwaves, not only through the family, but through the community and, and within her friendship circles as well. It's interesting too that, no, I guess, of course, you're going to deal with the grief by drinking, most likely if you don't have the tools. But it's interesting yeah. too that no one said that was one of the causes of, of her death. Why don't we all stop yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, no, and it's never been and probably won't. Like I can own that and relate to that and, and know that, but there'd be definitely other people that wouldn't be able to say that like. Wow. And so did the drinking help numb the pain of losing your sister at the time? Yeah, it did. It didn't. It didn't. Like, I was still, it was funny. I was in therapy from a very young age. I was sent to therapy around that time. And I was always like aware of what I was doing and why I was doing it, but I still would do it. So it didn't numb the pain. I, I don't think I was looking for that. I don't think it was ever, it wasn't ever like, oh my God, I can't deal with this emotion. I'm going to drink. I was always very good at dealing with emotions. And when something would come up, taking it to my therapist, taking it to my journal, taking it to wherever I needed it to go. But I think it was just still carrying on with the status quo of being a teenager in Ireland drinking and that unawareness of like, this is how your sister died. Okay. I'm going to say something really woo-woo here and forgive me, everyone listening and you on your bed. Something just keeps dropping in for me that that inner child meditation was your sister saying I need you to quit yeah have you ever thought that probably yeah I look I feel like my sister and my brother have guided me my whole life especially my sister and when I think of drinking I do think of her so yeah it was probably like my it was I think it was definitely my inner child around the age that she had died that's who I met oh gosh that's so powerful unbelievable yeah and so everyone I speak to obviously in in Ireland the drinking culture is so huge I mean there's so much generational trauma there and so present do you feel also that it was just everywhere it was surrounded you were surrounded by that from a, a very young age and that's kind of the patterns that you saw yeah I think it's more like after living in LA and seeing the resources available for some teenagers in certain areas, I can absolutely understand why they're drinking because there's nothing else to do. And then if they're within a family that are always doing also doing that at the weekend, it's normalized. It's like that's what you do. So I think definitely, yeah, the culture and not being aware of it, but I think the European culture anyway, I think the whole world's nearly culture, I have to say, like because when I was 18, I moved over to New York as well. And like that, I was hanging around with teenagers that like my age 17 18 19 and the way the americans were drinking i was like holy shit like you know what i mean i was like these are just put us to shame in in a sense i just think irish people can handle it better in a sense that we can drink more and aggression we kind of tend to drink past aggression it goes for well from my experience maybe it's like nearly laughter messiness the person that everyone laughs at to like falling down drunk as opposed to it always being around aggression and again, like I said, that's just my experience of it. But yeah, look, it was the culture growing up. That's what I was doing. It was part of what I was doing every weekend. Mm. Looking back now, what would you say that alcohol was doing for you? What was right about it? I definitely feel it was allowing me, and I have to be honest with this as well, like it was allowing me to be more myself. I'm a very, and, and I'll still say that now to this day. I think what I liked about alcohol was I'm a very, I'm a very opinionated woman, very, I have strong mind. I 
love to talk about certain topics and there were certain ways I would only act or feel I could behave when I had a drink in me because you don't want to be seen as like, oh, the woman that's too loud, too opinionated, sit in the corner, look pretty, don't open your mouth. That was kind of like, again, the world that I was in. Whereas when I had a drink on me, I didn't care about that. So I was able to tap into, let's, to, I have to be honest, more myself. Whereas I guess now that I don't drink, I'm that now anyway. I've almost like I've come into that anyway, but I don't need the alcohol. So what was it doing with me? Look, it was it was definitely just part of a fitting into the crowd. But I have to, I can't deny that there was part of it that was allowing me to be myself. Absolutely. I mean, we have to acknowledge what it was doing for us. If it wasn't giving us something, we would never have done it in the first place. So yeah. it's really important to kind of identify well, what was it doing for me, especially for people that are in it, to realize and ask that question, well, what's right about it? What does it do for me? And how can I give that to myself if I was to take the alcohol out, it's interesting that yeah. I guess through the work that you've done on yourself, how were you able to find that confidence within yourself to be your authentic self without it? Yeah, definitely through self-love as cheesy as that sounds, Danny, right? It was definitely through self-love and being like, no, no, I have Look. a voice. I can say this. Yeah. And, and also like men that can't handle that or even some women that can't handle that. It's fine. They're not supposed to possibly be in my world or my circle or whatever so I guess like being able to find I genuinely just feel like true self self-love and caring for every single part of me like including the broken parts the person that needed the alcohol at one point in time or would turn to that for the self-confidence or to give her the, the courage to speak her mind and really say what she wants and like I love partying I love I still do all that and I'm sure we'll get into that but like I'm still probably the one that like does stay out the longest and I'm up dancing first and I don't have a drink either have a non-alcoholic something or I just have a sparkling water I love to dance and I love to be like boisterous and I love to be like singing and having a great time in a club and and I think drink I only thought I was allowed to do that because I was drinking so it was about really being like well no that's actually who you are and you don't need alcohol to be that and you can be that and own that that's who you are instead of saying oh well I only did that because I had a few drinks on me like no such thing. I wanted to dance on that table. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I wanted to kiss that boy. <laughs> I love. I wanted to kiss that boy. Freaking awesome! Yeah, there's nothing wrong with owning the behavior too. I think that's wonderful. I I don't think we probably do that enough. And just on that, just to say, like I I definitely used to use drink, like I said, to be to tap into more myself so yes I liked to be the girl that was like the first one up dancing the last one to dance and kiss and flirt and doing all these things that you're told you're not allowed to do or as a promiscuous woman so like I used to use the alcohol and I would there was times I would go out just and have like a, a sip of wine just so I could do that because that's what I wanted to do I wanted to have fun and be young and feel flirty and like chat to people and like you know be out in the smoking garden putting the world to rights like all these like I love all that but I do that now without a drink so I know that that's that's who I am mm -hmm. so when you say about the self-love talk to the audience a little bit about that so how did you find the self-love like how did that come about because that's really difficult like it's so hard for some people to love themselves it's also people can find that conceited which is a, always a hard one to get over with people and I think it's so important and it's an important part of our journey is that kind of yeah getting to have a good relationship with yourself that's loving so tell me a bit about that and how you got there 
yeah oh and I love that you bring it up about like people think it's like self-conceited because I always thought I did love myself so if my therapist was like you need to you know be loving yourself more I'm like I do love myself I think I'm great but I only loved me when I was great self-love is about loving the parts of you that aren't great the parts of you that are shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, say it again I love that yes literally self-love is actually not about loving the parts of yourself that are great and you think you're fantastic and all the accomplishments you can do it's actually about loving yourself when you're a piece of shit on the floor like that's it yeah you know that's the one that needs the love that's the part that needs the love yeah that's the part that needs to be brought back to be whole and we tend to ignore that part of ourselves we tend to like push that part into the shadow and it's like no no that's so oh my god don't do that and like that's what I mean I used to carry shame about being the woman like say that would go and love to have a dance and like love to have a kiss and love to have like you know a cigarette or whatever in the smoking area whereas now I absolutely love that version of me I'm absolutely that and multi-dimensionality for me is very important as a woman so yes I can absolutely be on the floor dancing till whatever time and still get up at like eight or nine a.m. Now this is without a drink, like eight or nine a.m. the next morning for business meetings and handle my shit. So like once I started to love those parts that I was shamed about, like oh my god, I just love it. I'm so whole. What's great? <laughs> I love that so much. You can see I'm doing a little doing a little dance over here. So okay, talk to me about loving those parts because obviously that's what exactly 100% that's what we need. We need to be able to look at ourselves and go, "Oh, you come here. You just need a hug. Like it's okay." How did you do it? So for people listening, like let's say that they've fucked up or they've done something bad or they've done something they regret. Onya, what would you say to that person? How do they love that part that they feel regretful towards or that they, they feel regret and they feel shame towards that part? Yeah, well, I'll bring it back first to something that I mentioned at the start that everything only means something when we attach meaning to it. So who's to say that what you've done is bad? Okay, who's to say good or bad? There is no such thing. Everything is duality and everything, right? So yeah, what if you snogged your sister-in-law or brother-in-law? Like, I mean, there was a part of you that meant or wanted to do that. <laughs> like, I mean, you have you to own that part of you. What if you didn't? What? what if you were just really drunk? Okay. Are we talking about drunk actions or all of our actions? Well, I guess, like, look, all actions. Like, who's to say? Like, in some cultures, that's allowed. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, you are ready to sit here and say that that's like, and like, yeah, morally, that might not be something that I would do or you would do or whatever. Like, is there cultures that allow that and condone that? And that's not that big of a deal. Absolutely like men that have six and seven wives in different countries and we don't look at it and people would turn their head quicker at someone snogging their brother or sister-in-law but then not look at how pedophilia is a male epidemic do you get me mm-hmm. it's just so who's holding these things to court so I would just start with that nothing means nothing unless we put meaning to it right it doesn't mean so straight away what you're feeling right now if you're lying there feeling like a piece of crap or doing something it only means that because you're attaching meaning to it someone else in another culture is doing that because that's what they have to do on a Sunday to praise God right so there's all these different things and different yeah. right rules and regulations so who's to say who holds them so again then it's loving that part of yourself that has done that like what does he or she need like 
why was that an okay action? And I know you mentioned about with drink or, or without drink, because like, look, I know people that do some crazy stuff without having a drink or a drug in their system. But again, who says it's crazy? I might say it's crazy. You might say it's crazy. But then in other cultures, it's absolutely not. So I suppose just breaking it down like that and looking at it as a whole can be quite scary. Whereas if you bring it down to something minute as, okay, if you're lying there in your bed feeling really bad about something you just did, just bring yourself back into the present moment and be like, well, that only means something now because I'm attaching that meaning to it. If I was in a different country now with other people around me, I might not feel that shame or that vulnerability or that escapism, right? And I know that doesn't answer your question. So to go back to that, about no, no. them. No, I think, no, that does. I think we can also look at it through the lens of maybe if we've done something, there's maybe deeper meaning to it. Like if we've done something, even if it's just we've acted like an arsehole or not acknowledged someone on purpose or we've done something that's a bit shitty and we know we've done it and we feel shame and we feel it in our body, you know when you've done something that's a bit crap. For me, this is, yeah, I'd say like trying to break it down. Like, okay, what's it all about? Is it a pattern? Was there fear that drove that? There's always a bigger explanation as to why we've done something, I think. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, Mm. 100%. And that's the thing. It's about, so straight away, no judgment, like no judgment of it, whatever you've done. Okay, right. So it's there. It's a fact, like you've done something. And I love the way you even said being a bit of an arsehole, like, because people can be like that sober too. So it's about figuring out like, well, why on the surface are you that? What's the root? What's the root cause to that? What's this subconscious belief within you or the conscious thought in you that branches that out if that makes sense yeah absolutely I think there's a great book I've talked about it before on the podcast quite a few times but no bad parts by Dick Schwartz have you ever read that no I love oh. it I started away with I need to write this down <laughs> yeah yeah write it down I'll put it in the show notes for people listening but no bad parts it's all about parts therapy but how different parts of us show up and different parts of us behave in different ways part of me wants to do that but part of me wants to do it this way instead and so really breaks that down all the different parts they're usually different ages of ourselves so it could be like our seven-year-old part is throwing a big tantrum or our 10-year-old part feels really afraid and it acts out in this way so trying to understand all the parts and there's no, yeah, no bad parts that all the parts are there to play a part for whatever reason. A lot of them are protective part or they're just trying to do a job. It's amazing. It's such an amazing book. I would recommend it to It's also going to, and does it say this in the book, like does it talk about like all those parts, good or bad? And again, I'm using quote marks as I say good or bad because like who's to say, but like does it talk about eventually brings you to a place of evolving as a human being? Yeah. Like, you so basically know, what right. happens is the capital S self, like the whole self runs the organism rather than all these little upset, fucked up parts <laughs> that are running the show. Yes. So we want the big S part of us to kind of run the, the kind of adult part of us rather than the, the little child parts running around doing all the work and the protector protecting the whole. So it's pretty in depth, but it's a beautiful book. And I'd say if people could even find any podcast listening to Dick Schwartz, Richard Schwartz. Uh, amazing like his work's phenomenal yeah so he started the it's called IFS internal family systems work anyway brilliant anyway I'm digressing Mm -hmm. anyway so this is great so loving the part of yourself that you feel doesn't deserve the love so bring it back to that that's just awesome absolutely amazing and the shame and everything so like that part of you that has done that 
has done it for a greater purpose if if not to just help you evolve or bring that to light and be like okay well why did you do that in the first place you must feel some sadness thinking about this work and the healing work that you've done on yourself and then thinking about your own brother who had his issues with addiction and do you feel like if he had been able to love those parts of himself whatever was going on for him it would have saved his life potentially yeah yeah for sure and also like I have that survival's remorse like why am I the sibling that is still here and yeah like yeah so until I'm not I guess it's going to be one of those things that I'll forever just make sure I show up for it to be the and when I say the best I was about to say the best version of myself but the best version of myself is and all versions of myself that show up on any given day whatever that is whether she be good or bad or whatever it's it's that it's not the version of myself that's getting the accolades and making all the money and running the business and doing this and the other and in the tv and film industry she's the exact same person that lies here sometimes for two days and doesn't have a shower because she doesn't want to do you know what I mean because she's not in the mood or she doesn't want to you know so oh my god you I, I love or, you I'm in love it's amazing. Ah, me too. Of course, you don't. The part of me that you are loving is the part that's in you, because that's this is how we're all made up, right? So yeah. it's just it's that. So when I do think of my brother, I think of his soul served his purpose and his time. His soul came like, and this is my own belief. So again, like people have different beliefs, but like I believe I chose the family I was born into I chose these things knowing that this was going to happen for me to experience this because like the creator right whatever word you want to put in the universe God higher power whatever like I'm people can call that whatever they want that's no problem to me it's more like that higher version of ourselves or that creator that we're co-creating with like they want to experience every single feeling emotion life experience here on earth and I think where people get stunted is when they're afraid or they go by the status quo or how society expects them to whereas like I'm like no I will leap into everything because I know how quickly your life can be taken from you I experienced that 14 with my sister and again then when I was 31 or 32 with my brother how much on a random Tuesday your life can just be changed or a random Saturday you're just you'll get a phone call or something will happen and your life will be changed so for me it's just all about experience and everything to evolve so like I chose this life I chose those experiences they chose me because I want to experience everything that life has to offer really and unfortunately that's the good and the bad Mm, it's that's a beautiful way of looking at it as well that we do choose yeah some people will go fuck that I didn't fucking choose this oh of course yeah of course there's people and I and I get that like that's the thing I'm not someone that's sitting here and or came from an ivory tower that's saying I chose this and life is terrible oh my god no I've been in the fucking trenches of being like oh my god I want to die this is no way but then when I started coming around to okay well what if I chose this and the end destination isn't all it's meant to be but it's actually the journey and it's like well how might that feel to experience this like when I think of my brother and sister I don't get overwhelmingly sad I feel overwhelming love for them so how can that be bad how can that be wrong how can that have not have happened oh that's so beautiful yeah that's right I talk about grief a lot on the podcast and I just feel like it can be such people are so scared of it but it can just be an expression of love like that's how I see it it's 
the more we grieve, the more we've loved that person and we can celebrate them and love them through our tears or through our laughter, just to celebrate them in all the ways. Yeah, Yeah, because they're fine. Like they're out of here now. They don't have anything to worry about. So they're just enjoying living their life in another realm that we'll be one day a part of like and that's genuinely what I believe and yes I'm sure there is people listening to this that's like that's absolute bullshit and that will be harder life will be harder for those people so for me I can be like oh my god I'm so lucky to have had a brother that taught me so much like I never ever ever touched a drug because I witnessed my brother how many 36 year olds can say that that they've never even I didn't even take a pan at all do you know what I mean because I just won't put that into my body do you know what sort of way Mm -hmm. so there's like, and that's what I learned. Wow. Amazing. So talk to me a bit about, I want to go back also and ask you how you dealt early days, but since we're kind of in this conversation that we're having now, I want to ask a little bit about the manifestation. You talked to me at, before we started recording, how manifestation came into your journey of, of quitting. Can you talk to me a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, It's funny. I've been manifesting. We're all manifesting all day, every day. The only thing is some people are aware that they're consciously manifesting and they're doing something about it and other people aren't aware so they're manifesting shit sometimes right oh, shit jobs yes, yes. your partner homes <laughs> or whatever right and again absolutely no judgment because there's a part of them that has to be in that right yeah yeah so I'm just, sorry i'm just sitting here thinking where has she been all my life <laughs> amazing that's so true we are manifesting even though we don't realize it we're manifesting shit for some of us and some of us are manifesting the good stuff amazing so I'm just a conscious manifester and all that is is that I just became aware that oh when I'm in a really shitty mood or I don't feel or I'm shitty to myself shitty things are happening around me and life isn't that enjoyable but then when I consciously can be like okay well I can be grateful for this or I can have this all of a sudden their life has changed so again I was noticing that I was manifesting right but not knowing it was manifestation so then throughout my 20s again you start hearing about it a bit more and I'm like oh right the law of attraction the secret brilliant yeah woo woo magic fairy it was kind of something that I delved into but didn't really fully say own and wasn't fully conscious of it but I was like oh I know if I'm in a good mood good things happen to me right so that was what I knew manifestation to be and then I started looking into and again this is where it ties into our healing journey right so people that dismiss manifestation are dismissing their own wellness and their own spirituality because it's their self-concept that is helping them either bring in the shit or bring in the good, okay? So if you have subconscious thoughts and feelings that like nobody loves me and everyone abandons me, you are going to meet that head on in your life, right? So by dealing with that in the first place, that's a wellness thing, right? That's your trauma work, that's your healing work, that's your power, that's your inner child work, that's your shadow work. So therefore then subconscious thoughts are changing. So automatically your world is going to reflect that for you. So how manifestation helped me with alcohol like I manifested moving to LA I manifested I didn't even have the money to move to LA I didn't even the visa I got is one of the most is hardest visas ever to get I got like an 01 extraordinary talent visa (laughs) didn't even have it I wasn't aware I had any talent right (laughs) like I was just I was like just manifesting and again still manifesting on level say four or five oh will you just be really good and really positive about it right So then what happened in L.A., I was manifesting to a certain amount of things and then it would just stop. 
and I would, and then things would go to shit. So then I'd, I'd be like, oh, well, okay, I'll work on being a good mood again. And I'd manifest something else. And then it would just stop. So I was reaching certain levels in my manifestation. And I was like, I need to figure out, I need to dive deeper about this. What is this? So then I started looking at how manifestation is tied into our self-concept. So the 14-year-old that lost a sister and worried about everyone dying is also the person maybe at 28, 29 that wanted to avoid serious relationships because everybody might die, right? The part of me that grew up in a home that her mom and dad broke up was also then the older version of me that would possibly believe marriage wasn't a good thing or people abandon, right? Like people don't take their responsibility. So all these different things that I experienced as my younger self was stopping me from being able to manifest or create a higher version of myself because I didn't deal with all the bullshit that's in there, all them subconscious thoughts that tell me, well, yeah, like it's great that you got to LA, but you'll never like get here or do this because you grew up in a family that like, you know, we're addicts and you grew up in a family that were consciously always like working hard for money and struggle, right? That was my story. So no matter how much work I did, until I dealt with that story and that came from my subconscious into my conscious, I couldn't deal with that, right? So that's where manifestation is for me. It's actually self-concept. It's a wellness thing. It's not like this woo-woo magic. Oh, just be in great form and everything great will happen. It's really about why there's a part in your brain that tells you that you can't have those things. Where's that connected in your nervous system that doesn't allow you, that doesn't feel safe in a business that makes 10K a month or 5K a month? Right. And there's going to be me mentioning that there's going to be people listening to that that's triggered even by me saying that amount that are possibly making a thousand or two thousand. Like they're like, oh my God, five thousand, seven, like a month. I can't make that because their families possibly didn't make it. So therefore, they didn't experience that. They might have grown up with relationships that weren't safe for them. So then they're just bouncing around different relationships. Do you know? So it's kind of really just getting to the root of your subconscious feeling and manifestation for me is that it's my subconscious route and how that ties in with alcohol was then I started to be able to visualize. I had to be able to visualize myself as someone that did not drink, right? I had to become someone that could visualize myself not drink. Now, Danny, I couldn't do that at first because my younger self, my whole self, that's all I knew was me as a drinker. My family is drinkers, everyone around me drinking. So like I didn't have any my nervous system had nothing to relate to, right? My nervous system wasn't around people that could go to a bar and not drink or could go to a bar and still be up dancing and having a great time and like driving home safe. I wasn't around those people because again, I wasn't attracting those people, right? Because that's where I was. That was the level I was in. So I started to really visualize myself as like a non-drinker. And that's when really issues around drink started to come up that I was like, oh, I use drink as like my voice. I use drink as an outlet. I really like to go out and be social and go clubbing, but I only feel I can do that with a drink in me. I can only go on a first date with someone after knocking back maybe a glass of wine before I walk out the door. I can only be really comfortable if I'm sitting with this person and they're also having a drink. So all of these things had to be looked at from a root area, your nervous system, your root cause, your subconscious, all of that had to be looked at. And then as that's chipping away and that's coming away, 
my nervous system then and me feels comfortable being someone like that. So the visualizations were coming faster, easier. So then what happened, because this was now stronger, right? The good, the non-drinking version of me that was visualizing because that was really coming true more. These other parts of me drinking, hungover, chatting shit, like, you know, just not being good to myself or kind to myself, hungover, eating crap the next day, whatever it would be. That no longer was the comfortable area to be. Do you get me? It eventually then my nervous system felt more comfortable being this version of myself because I'd worked on all the shit that allowed me to really visualize that. And that's how manifestation helped me. And I'm so passionate about manifestation. And that's why I've just literally started a manifestation podcast because people think it's all about magic and it's woo-woo and it's this, that, and the other, but it's not. It's actually the key to your wellness and your well-being. Because whatever you can't manifest is what's in your system not allowing you to manifest that. So that's where I'm at with it. <laughs> and it's even weird being on your podcast now because I feel that the higher version of me that wanted to give up drinking, the, the person I was manifesting, that's who's sitting here now. But when I was in LA in the depths of like wanting to give up alcohol, not knowing if I could, I found your podcast. Like I was listening to you and your story. Awesome. Like, yeah, I found this podcast. And like, I don't even know how, like I was in LA, you're in Melbourne, like in Australia. Like it was like, what is happening? Like, how did that even happen? I can bring myself back to the day I was in the kitchen and you were talking about a story that I think your kid just woke up or something and your kids hadn't woken up or had to wake you up. There was a story you told and it was about your, your kids and they were quite young and maybe there was like balls or something left on the table and it wasn't even anything that someone would turn their eye to. But it was the way you told the story and the way you spoke so raw and so honest. And I was like, I'd love to be like them. I'd love to be like those people that like could be at a party, a dinner party. That was it. You were after being at a dinner party or you hosted a party or something like that. And you said then all your friends, you decided there was a group of you to do the no year, no alcohol. And I was like, I could never do that. I would, I'd love to be those people in Melbourne just not drinking and fucking loving on each other and all. So like there I was in LA, depressed, drinking, wanting to give it up, listen to your podcast. And now I'm a guest on your podcast. Like there's a manifestation for you and a higher self, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I love that. I love it. And I 100% agree because I've always been into manifestation and just my positive thinking and all those things. And it wasn't until I actually read Joe Dispenza's book again for the second time, Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. And there was some journaling prompts there at the end of just like really seeing your blockages. And I can't remember this specific question it was, but I started, I went on my own trip of my own journaling and to realize, wow, I think I've had this belief about myself. It's the same kind of thing of what you're talking about that I'm not lovable, which is a whole lot of stuff from my past. Yeah. Now I realize that how can I manifest, how can I bring in good stuff when I've got this core belief that I'm not yes. lovable? and that nobody loves me, how could I get great guests on my podcast? So how could I bring good things in for myself when I feel like, oh, I'm a bit yuck, you know, and this is yeah. super personal, but what well, fuck it, whatever. No, yes. yeah. And I realized that, wow, this is such a huge block. So I did a lot of work around that and a lot of journaling around that in a child meditation type stuff around that same thing too, and really started to just see it as it would show up. But what was wow. interesting, Anya, as it started to show up, I realized it was everyone. 
I mean, everyone, my husband, my kids, everyone didn't love me in my mind. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It was blowing my mind because I was like, I can't even believe it. this is even here for me because I just didn't know. I, honestly, so there's a whole story around it. It's, it's pretty interesting. But what happened was I started to flick the thoughts. When that come up, I'd just say, that's not true. That's not true. And I'd try and flip the thought. And one day I was standing in the shower and it's like I had an attack of just like, your sister didn't call you back. She doesn't like you. She had, and I was yeah. getting, it sounds so weird, but an attack in the shower of then oh it was like a, a barrage of these thoughts of this one doesn't love you, that one, da, 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 da. And I just saw it and I just laughed at it. I just said, oh, you're just attacking right. me because I'm on the edge of a breakthrough here. And I just laughed it off. Yeah. It was so cool. Yeah. And then the next day, it's just like I just, something just released in me. And then all this stuff too that had sort of been there but not quite there just started coming to me again. And things just started showing up for me and all the right people showing up at the right time. And just in the smallest ways on you, it wasn't like these massive things but just these little blessings were showing up it was amazing yeah. anyway I'm, I'm digressing but I totally no, I love understand that yeah. it has to also this is when we get freedom is when we start to realize those core beliefs because we can't change anything if we're still holding on to belief about ourselves. so even if it's yeah not just the belief of oh, I'm only the party person if I drink but what's the real beliefs behind that and what's where does it come from trying to get to those core those core beliefs we have about ourselves and then can we challenge them and change them yeah it's powerful isn't it it's so powerful and it's so funny because obviously we're talking about like how we quit alcohol but we went into this chat about manifestation because that's why I started the podcast then myself was because and to even help people because I'm trying to show them how manifestation can lead you to the key, like the key subconscious. And I'm sure Joe Dispenza spoke about the RAS, the reticular activating system, mm-hmm. which is like all this hard wiring in our brain that we can change for on a subconscious level by affirmations, trauma work, breath work, uh, regulating our nervous system. So like if you tell someone, oh, you want to manifest 10 grand a month and be able to go more or you want to manifest a massive car or you just want to manifest peace. Like, that's all I care. I just love having peace in my daily life. It's not about material things for love. me. I don't care. Yeah, love. Just love, yeah. 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 it's just that, that inner love. So like to get there, you have to work with the Raz, you have to rewire all that, you know, and that's where affirmations come in and the manifestation. So it's so interesting. <laughs> I love it all. What's the name of your podcast? It's the Polly Pocket podcast. And basically I do like little mini series about various different things. So like this particular episodes and this series will be about manifestation. And I give people like little journal and prompts to help them figure out the triggers that are coming. Yeah, we love a journal prompt. Like we love it. Goes I love it. Love subconscious. It. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. So I do that in the podcast. And the whole point of like the Polly Pocket, it's just they're quick 20 minute little things this is going to help you and this is why a couple of bit of information it's not like a big dragged out thing and then maybe another series will be about like alcohol another series then will be about like your nervous system so I'm going to break them into little series and do them all so that's new (laughs) that's amazing is it out now the podcast it is actually yeah I literally this is hilarious I launched my first episode today oh yeah and I didn't even mean yeah I wasn't going to do it till next week and now I'm actually going away next week again I manifested this trip last minute of course but I was supposed to do a next week 
And then again, I was able to sit there, the right things were happening, the editings, all this sort of stuff kind of came. And I was like, okay, today is the day that I'm going to launch this. And also there's a couple of people, because I harpered on about this throughout my career that I've I've taken on clients, but like taking them on a very like low level where something I'm actually going into more as a business now, which is great. So tell me about it as the business. Yeah, so just, I guess, there's obviously the podcast. I want to give a lot of information away for free. But then what could come from having a conversation like this one-on-one with someone or being able to show up for someone? Like nobody would look at my life now and be like, there's no way that she was brought up like in a home where nobody could give her care or look after her. And she like had drug and drink all around her whole chaotic lifestyle because I've just done the kind of work. And I'm so passionate about genuinely helping people. So I feel through talking like this one-on-one in person, I do a lot of in-person, but like over Zoom, just being able to give people little activities that aren't going to scare them straight away because therapy sounds scary to someone. But then if you said to them, oh, well, look, manifestation, I can help you manifest. It's an easier, gentler way into that. And you can do it maybe a bit more because therapy sometimes can be very hard nose, sit down, you just come up and you talk about everything. I like to be active in my recovery. I like to be active in my own trauma work and my own help. So I love journal prompts. I love breath work. I love like somatic work. Like I love all this. So I can do all that then for other clients. And that's kind of just what I'm hoping to do is just be able to like bring people into their real self and get rid of all that shit that's there that's stopping them from loving themselves, every part of themselves. Absolutely amazing. That's so fantastic. So obviously we'll put notes in the show notes for how people can contact you as well and just to to reach out and also the podcast. It sounds absolutely amazing. So Anya, tell us a little bit about early days. So you've gone and you did a few AA meetings. That was great. What happened after that? So tell me about times where you were going out or the old triggers to drink if they would show up or if cravings, tell us if they showed up, if they didn't, how you would handle that if they did show up. What was that like for you? Uh, it was so funny because I so like I gave up drinking in LA but to me like I said it was almost like the cherry on the top of a cake that I'd already been cooking and making and baking so for me it was so funny because around the same time I wasn't really working in LA so I went and was working in a bar so I literally went to work in a bar like two or three or four weeks after I gave up alcohol I was like what is this like they would advise against that but this is where it comes to I trusted myself I trusted myself I literally would walk in somewhere if I felt I'm very lucky to be able to stand here and sit here in front of you and say I've yet to have a trigger I've yet to be like I love a drink oh god or like I've yet to be have that feeling I'm not saying that's not going to come it might come like you know, I visualize drinking champagne on my wedding day in Italy. Like, so there's still them that I'm like, oh, that doesn't really connect with who I am now. Right. So like, again, like I said, there are things that I've like possibly seen and I'm like, oh, would that be even a thing? But I don't get triggers to drink. I don't want to drink. It was always on the list, the top of the list of things that didn't serve me and that didn't necessarily even put anything back into me. Alcohol was always the top of the list. Right. So it's like up there, even a bad friend or even a bad working situation or a bad living situation can teach you something, show you something, help you with something. Alcohol just takes, takes, takes. They just, it just takes, it doesn't put back into you. It does not, it just depletes. That's what it does. And 
it was always on the top of the list of something I wanted to like be eventually be someone that just is like I don't drink I want to be able to be comfortable enough and be able to sit there and be like no I just don't drink and be strong enough to say that so when I went to AA I wasn't even going to them talking about my drink and I was going to them talking about my sister that died my brother that died living in LA feeling very lonely in LA working all day and then coming out of work sometimes and seeing homeless people on the street and nobody caring for them people that possibly only want to be around you because of how you looked or what you could do for them like all everything I hate about the world was like there multiplied by 10 and I was seeing all of this so like I was going to AA not talking about drinking standing up talking about other stuff so it was kind of just like a resource for me and I didn't really feel like it was something that I needed to attend all the time religiously or anything like I said I was trusting myself and I still do I don't feel AA is something I go to I'm still in touch with a lot of people from AA god some of them people are amazing and and you connect on such a human level like we are now we're connecting as soul sister level like right from from the bare bones so it wasn't something that I felt like I had to go to and then like that I started working in a bar which was hilarious started working in a large bar in LA sure I'm serving my favorite drink was margaritas and shots of sambuca sure that's all I was serving you know what I mean and I was like I used to carry it down and I'd be like you couldn't pay me money to put that into my body right now that's how much I love myself you couldn't fucking pay me <laughs> Like, I love that. that's just how I noticed and how powerful I felt over this thing it's great it's like you know when you dump someone that's an asshole and you're like you wouldn't even get to know my number anymore and I just love it's like that that's how I felt about that drink that I'd be carrying down to someone else but again no judgment on anyone else that was doing or partaking and it's still the same so yeah I was working in a bar and still I was just like I'm not drinking and there was people I told that I wasn't drinking and they didn't believe me. There's people I tell now that I don't drink and they still don't believe me. Like, like of a group of girls I would know, I used to like heavily, I would be always away with them drinking and party animal. And like one or two of them would be like, come on, just tell us, are you secretly drinking? I'd be like, no. <laughs> like, go on, tell us. I'd be like, I swear. Yeah, it, it's just, it's very interesting. And it shows a lot. Did you notice this though? Because I want to be careful about what I say because I don't want to offend anyone. But did you notice then you saw more of what people were like of how they responded to your non-drinking. Yeah, like, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the reaction I was getting. Like different dates. If I was going out dating, I could tell what sort of guy I was dating by how he responded to me not drinking. So like some guys would be so lovely and be, be just like, oh, that's really cool. Like they might be curious about it and then they might decide not to have a drink themselves, right? Then another day I was on actually only recently and a guy was like no no I won't drink like I won't won't drink and I was like you're making me really uncomfortable now because you want to drink and you're telling me that I'm not allowing like me is not allowing you so how influential how easy influenced are you then and it was annoying me I was like have a fucking glass of wine shut up and have a glass of wine with your cabanera like it's grand mm -hmm. like you know so there's different people respond differently around you it's interesting Mm, absolutely it's interesting and those people too that just celebrate it with you though are amazing I mean everyone's yeah. amazing even the people that get triggered by it it's just yeah. part of it, it doesn't... yeah yeah you we know? can get all fucked yeah. up about it or we can just go oh that's that's just them they're going through something and that's they obviously it. need to quit probably yeah yeah mm -hmm. I was once that person I was once that person that would sit there and someone would tell me they weren't drinking and I would be so jealous of them and so envious that I couldn't. I was like, like I used to say to my friends, oh, I could just, 
I must be an alcoholic because I could never see myself not drinking. Do you know what I mean? It's mad. Yeah. So, Absolutely. What's the best thing that sobriety has given you? I mean, obviously it's given you lots of gifts, but what's probably one of the biggest gifts it's given you? Okay. Sometimes I feel that I don't know what it's necessarily given me, but I know what it hasn't taken away. So it hasn't taken away the love I have for myself that drinking used to do or living or even being that person, right? Because it was also an identity. It's not just the alcohol. It's who you are that's taken the alcohol in the first place. That's a really nice question. If I can say what giving up drink has given me, it has just restored my power and it's made like more fragments of myself. It's brought back to me to make me more whole. I love that. I absolutely love it. If you could go back in time, Anya, and speak to your child self, let's say the 12-year-old self before she started drinking, what would you say to her? Like, I don't have any regrets. I'm just going to own up to that now as well, by the way, right? So, like, I'd probably just, do you know what? I've no regrets. I'd say, fuck it. Just enjoy the ride. You'll eventually give it up. It's grand. I can only be thankful that I'm sitting here. And and I have to actually just own that as well. Like, I, it's very, I'm very lucky that I could sit here and say that only for I was doing the work while I was drinking, that's probably why I'm possibly like maybe not a full-blown alcoholic or why I didn't go down the road of drugs or why I'm not in situations that are like people do find themselves in. So um, yeah, it's easy for me to say I have no regrets now because nothing majorly bad happened to me apart from I was just always hurting myself. So I guess if I would just go back, I would just say, look, try to give it up sooner. Don't wait until you were 30 what was I, 34, 35 or so, 35 when I gave it up. Don't wait until then. Give it up in your 20s. It's way better. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Most of the time when I ask people that question, they all have the same kind of or similar response. They don't have regrets, but they might have told themselves just to be themselves or there's no regrets. Because do you know why though? Because we've learned to love the shitty part of us. That's it. You fool. There's no shame. And that's what AA and that's what the 12 steps do for you. It's to bring you to a point where you absolutely accept every single part of you. And I'm there. I've already mm. reached it. So, of mm. course, I've no regrets about falling home drunk or fucking whatever I did when I was drunk because I love that part of me that did that too. Yeah, I love that. So here's what I'm thinking. Let's give the audience a few journal prompts with my grads group and the people I take through the alcohol challenges that we do. We're doing journal prompts all the time. And so I'm actually at the moment giving the grads group different journal prompts a few a week for them to do. I love this one. What doesn't serve me? What you said earlier. So making this perhaps in a little mind dump on what doesn't serve me, I think is really powerful. And I like with journaling, I don't know about you, Anya, but I kind of have something in mind or something that's bothering me. Or sometimes I'll just look at something in my room and just spend about five minutes just dumping. So it might start as one topic and end up somewhere completely different. Do you do it that way? Consciously just spewing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. So that's one good prompt, I would say. What doesn't serve me and just see where that takes you. And like you said, it doesn't have to just be alcohol. It could be toxic people, could be work just looking at all the different areas in life where things aren't serving you perhaps you could change them or just writing about it just gives you some clarity do you find yeah give me one more great journaling prompt for the audience to do a little mind dump on that you found that's helped you so this is actually something I've given on my podcast episode today right so I'm just going to give you this because 
this is another, it's like a, a version of our journaling prompts. So basically you just get a little page, any A4 pages, you do like four columns. And I know your people aren't going to see, but it's like standard, give your four columns and four headings at the top. So at the top, you're going to write triggers, feelings, thoughts, and behavior. Okay. So a trigger could be, so let's actually take one when you're drinking alcohol, right? So you're sitting there and someone next to you, you're drinking your wine or whatever. And someone sits down next to you and is like, oh no, I don't drink. I don't, I don't need to drink to enjoy myself. Right. That triggered something in you. Now it might not trigger other people, but it triggered something in someone that possibly thinks they have an alcohol issue. Right. And I'm speaking from myself, what I would have been like years ago when people would sit beside me and tell me they weren't drinking. I'd be like, oh my God, get away from me now. So that would be a trigger. Right. So the Mm -hmm. feeling that would bring up me, right. Anger, rage, embarrassment, shame, guilt, discuss all these different feelings that that would bring up for me. Okay. And that's your column two, then column three. Well, what thoughts are associated with that feeling and that trigger that just came up? I could never be someone that doesn't drink. I need drink to be my whole self. I need alcohol. That person is better than me. That person is better than me because they obviously had a family that loved them. They didn't grow up in chaos and around addiction. They're amazing. I'm a piece of shit, right? So all these thoughts, Mm, that's our subconscious thoughts. Yeah, these are our subconscious thoughts. That's where the RAS comes into, right? The reticular activating system to rewire these. So what behavior comes out of that? I might turn around and try and make this person feel bad about themselves. I might say, oh yeah, yeah, okay. Oh God, them shoes are like really interesting. How come you wore them? Or like, oh, you don't drink. You must be so boring. Oh, you must be like, oh, you're no fun. I couldn't talk to you. So my behavior would change based on this person just showing up and being their authentic self. So that's a little task that I've given people to do on my podcast this week. So it's really good to journal for the week and bring up your triggers. So even like, I have a lot of triggers at the moment say around my work because I'm in the TV and film industry and there's a lot of stuff that goes on there but then also then I'm doing this my whole online business and my coaching business so I have a lot of combative triggers so I'm keeping just this little trigger journal and I'm figuring out and all that's bringing me back into I I don't even nearly have to fill out the behavior column because I'm not reactive anymore as I used to be but it brings up thoughts of like well, you're not worth it. You grew up with no money. No one in your family did this. Why would you think you could do this? All these different thoughts. So I'm just getting rid of them. Now, I don't even identify with them. They just mean nothing to me. It's just like getting rid of them. They're weeds, right? So that is always something I do just to check up on what your triggers are. So I know that's not a prompt, but that might help some of your podcast listeners. It's amazing. Um, I think that's wonderful. And it's great to see how the triggers activate feelings and then stories and then what behaviors like how do we act like because of the story that we're telling ourselves totally that is awesome Anya thank you so much I feel so blessed to speak to you today and so just so stoked like I just I love it and I love everything that you're doing I think it's fantastic and I can't wait to tune in and listen to your podcast it's going to be awesome and so again if people want to reach out to you I'll put links in the show notes or could you just tell us what's the best way to get in contact with you if anyone wants to do some manifesting coaching or something like that with you Yeah I'm actually so I'm pretty active on Instagram I'm pretty good on Instagram and um, you'll just find me as like Anya O'Neill on Instagram and then I'm on TikTok as the evolved manifester so Ooh, you'll find me on that as well I love that's important manifest we have to be an evolved manifester that's where the real gold is (laughs) oh my god amazing I could talk about manifestation like forever because it's just so important and it's so powerful I've just find even when I'm working with someone or someone's doing the challenge that 
once they get rid of the alcohol and they're starting the gratitude practice, a lot of people start to notice, oh, all these things are just happening for me. A really interesting one, my sister did my last challenge and it was really cool having her in the group. But she was saying how she was just like, oh, these weird things just get like really good stuff was happening for her. And then her vacuum cleaner broke down. And she was like, oh, God, I'm going to need to get a new vacuum cleaner shit, you know, blah, blah, blah. Still did her gratitude practice that day. She went to to the big shopping center to go and buy a new vacuum cleaner. And then she bumped into an old friend who just started talking to her. And she said, oh, what are you doing? And that said, oh, I'm here to buy a vacuum cleaner. And her friend said, oh, I've got someone had passed away. I think her mom had passed away and had this really good vacuum cleaner that she wasn't using. She goes, oh, do you want that? You can just have it. And my sister was like, oh, my God, what? Yes. Oh my God. I love it. I love it. I know. She offered the lady money and the lady said, no, no, I don't want any money. Just, you can just have it. It was like a $600 vacuum cleaner or something. She was stoked. She rang me that day. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. (laughs) Yeah. Good. And that's the thing. Manifest and manifest and manifest. We're always doing it. We just have to be conscious about it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. My husband has a really powerful manifestation story, which I'll tell you about. But anyway, that wonderful, wonderful stuff. So thank you, Anya O'Neill. Congratulations on everything that you're achieving and doing and manifesting. You're absolutely wonderful. I've got a serious girl crush on you. Not afraid to say it. (laughs) You're so amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I look forward to hearing your podcast. Thanks, Danny. Bye. Bye. you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.